Well, good morning again. How are we all doing today? Hey, it's great to see you. Good to be back from uh, Israel. Had an amazing time. We'll be going again uh, this next year. I'll get some information here this week, but uh, it's always great to be back. I was telling Saturday night last night, it's always weird. When I, have, when I don't teach for a couple weeks, I come back, like my first impression when I come back is, number one, like, how do you do this? I've kind of forgotten. Uh, and then the second, the second thing is, it is so good to be back. It's like I enjoy the time away, but I'm telling you, when I come back, I'm so pent up with passion, and it all usually hits me like Saturday night during worship. I just, I, I'm just, I get so pumped up, and so uh, it's great to be back. So if it's your very first time, welcome. Uh, glad you're here. Uh, if it's your uh, millionth time, welcome back. Uh, we're going to go into our time of teaching right now. Inside your program is a green and white message note sheet we use every week. And uh, uh, so you want to pull those out. That'll be helpful for you. And if you guys are ready to go, then I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, we're excited to be here. We're excited to be part of this growing community of followers of Jesus who, who love you, who love one another. We're getting more and more connected in our life groups. We're doing life together. You're moving in our midst. You're healing us. You're changing us. You're transforming us. And we sense you on the move. Yeah, we sense you even in worship here just coming and meeting with us. And so we're excited to be here in your presence and to be under your leadership and today to hear from you. And so we ask that you'd come and you'd speak and you'd unpack your word. You'd speak individually through our hearts. I pray that I would be clear. You'd speak through me, but I pray more importantly that you would be clear in applying this word to our hearts individually, that we would know what it looks like to live this truly epic life you've called us to. We pray it in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, today we're continuing this journey that we've been on for the last several months um, that's uh, called Epic Living the Vision. And for those of you who are brand new, uh, not only special welcome, but uh, just a quick uh, overview, uh, that this series is uh, based on a letter from a man that we call the Apostle Paul. He writes to a group of followers of Jesus in the general area vicinity of a, a major ancient city that was in kind of Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. The name of the city was Ephesus. It's about a quarter of a million people, that you know, kind of area of the suburbs. And uh, these people had come to Jesus. It's about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And so in this letter uh, of Ephesians, Paul is laying out this epic vision that God has for all of creation. And what he says is that when we become, uh, come to Jesus, we find out that we've actually been chosen unbelievably uh, before time by name, that we've been chosen to play an important role in this vision of bringing all creation kind of healed and restored back under the leadership of King Jesus, this life and the next life. Uh, and then in the second half of the letter, uh, he begins to talk to us about what does it look, out, look like to live out this epic vision in everyday life. So the first series is called Epic the Vision, second half, Epic Living the Vision. Now, we're in a series, we're in a section of the letter that starts at 417, Ephesians 417, goes through 5-2, where Paul says that if we want to live out this epic vision, then we're going to have to learn to rethink our whole approach to life that we're going to have to come under the leadership of King Jesus. Uh, as he puts it, enter the school of King Jesus, let him be our rabbi. Uh, we're going to have to learn to put off our old ways of doing life, put on new ways, kind of like clothing, uh, and, and that we're going to allow God to transform us to become the people we were created to be, kind of like God himself, so we can live out this epic life. And so 
He's been giving us in this section, I uh, guess, us six illustrations, real practically. What does it look like to put off the old, put on the new? And so we've talked about, the last five weeks, we've talked about integrity. We've talked about anger. We've talked about our whole approach to, to work and to generosity. Remember that message, working to give? Uh, we've talked about uh, the power of words. And then last week, uh, we talked about what does it look like to listen and follow, not to grieve the Holy Spirit. Well, today we come to the sixth and final topic, which deals with this topic of forgiveness. And what we're going to learn today, that what Paul's going to say, if you want to live an epic life, if you want to rethink your life, put off the old, put on the new, be transformed, be changed from the inside out, become like God again, this is one of the most important lessons in the school of Jesus, how to forgive. Uh, But it's also one of the hardest. And so we're going to be talking about it for two weeks, this week and next week. And what we're going to be doing today is laying out some kind of general basic understanding of what forgiveness is, is it, how it works, and then come back and next week kind of wrap that up and get even more practical. But we're going to start uh, today by taking a look at the passage uh, there in your Bibles. And so if you have your Bibles, it starts in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. And there in your note sheet is a section called Epic uh, underscore Forgiveness. And so uh, we're going to pick it up at 431. Now, if you were here at the start of this mini-series, back in 417, you remember second weekend we talked about anger. We actually talked about this verse, but we're going to come back to it today. He says in verse 31, he says, okay, so, so what are we we're going to put off the old, put on the new, rethink our lives? What does that look like? Uh, what does it look like to put off? Well, here's what we're going to put off. He says, verse 31, we're going to get rid of all bitterness. We're going to get rid of, put off bitterness. We're going to put off rage and anger. We're going to put off brawling, and that could be either physical or verbal. We're going to put off slander, kind of using our words to destroy others, along with every form of mouth. So what does it look like to follow Jesus, enter school of Jesus, be transformed? We're going to put off uh, anger and all the destructive attitudes and actions that flow out of it. That's what we're going to put off. So if that's what we're putting off, what do we put on? Well, that comes in the next verse, verse 32. We're going to replace it with uh, kindness and compassion. He says we're going to be kind and compassionate to one another, and we're going to be forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God has forgiven us. And so he says we're we're going to put off the anger and the aggressive kind of the actions of attack. Instead, we're going to place it, put on compassion, kindness when people hurt us, when they irritate us, when they frustrate us, when they offend us, instead of reacting in anger, we're going to learn to put on uh, compassion and kindness, and we're going to respond to them as God has responded to us when we've offended him. We're going to respond with forgiveness, right? So, so that's the kind of the big picture. Obviously a challenge, right? And so like I said, we're going to be talking about this this week and next, and, uh, and so today I'm going to lay out for four basic principles about forgiveness Come back and build on that next week. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section uh, that's called Forgiveness 101. And so we're going to jump in, all right? And so uh, laying some basic groundwork that we're going to build on both this week and next. So number one, uh, first thing we have to understand is that if we're going to follow Jesus, that forgiveness is a non-negotiable. Okay, so that if you're going to follow Jesus, rethink your life. Put off the old, put on the new, enter school of Jesus, be transformed, become like God, live an epic vision that forgiveness is not an option, that it's a, it's a non-negotiable, it's an essential part of following Jesus. Now, uh, this, is, uh, this is, I think of this like buying a new car. 
You know, when you go in to buy a new car, uh, they often have like three different models, right? There is the basic version that no one buys. It's got wheels. It's got four doors, maybe a tailgate and an engine, right? And so no one buys that. If you want more, then you're going to add optional equipment, right? If you want uh, rear view camera, if you want satellite radio, if you want fancy wheels, if you want an automatic lift gate, you're going to pay more for that. Now, here's what I think. that Often we come to forgiveness as followers of Jesus. We think of forgiving others, forgiveness, as like optional equipment on the Christian life. So in other words, we say, you know, what I'd like is the basic model of following Jesus. Like, I would like to be forgiven, have my sins forgiven, uh, and, and go to heaven. And so I'd like that model. I don't want the upgrade. I don't want to learn to forgive others. Uh, as I've been, That costs a little too much outside my budget. Uh, I want the basic, uh, basic Christianity package. And here's what I want you to understand as followers of Jesus, that that's not how it works, that, that forgiveness is not part of the optional passage. It is the core of what it means to be a It is the wheels and the engine that drives this car. Uh, and this is why Paul, this is what Paul says. So if you look at Ephesians 4, he's talking about what do we put off, what do we put on? And he says we're going to put off the anger and all things that come out in verse 31. And then in verse 32, he says we're going to be kind and compassionate and catch us. We're going to forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So in other words, if you want God to forgive you, then you have to learn how to forgive others. This is what Christianity is about. Now, this goes to the core message of the gospel. Now, some of you are longtime Christ followers. Some of you are brand new to Jesus. Maybe it's your first time here. It's your third time here. You're still figuring this out. How does Christianity work? Do I want to follow Jesus? But what I want to do is just for a second, let's go back and talk about what the core message of the gospel is. Because I think sometimes we miss this as how it applies to what it means to follow Jesus. So here's the core message of the gospel. If you're going to ask me, like, hey, summarize the gospel of Jesus. Well, it's core. The message of the gospel is that you and I have all rebelled against God, that we are all part of a rebel race. We're born that way. And then on top of that, we've all chosen to rebel against God. We've all chosen to do our own thing, act as if God doesn't exist. We've all known what's the right thing, chosen the wrong thing. We've all lived as if we're our own God. And as a result of that, we are under the judgment of God for high treason against our true king. And so the Bible says that the kind of penalty for high treason is death. And so we all live before we come to Jesus under, there's a, a warrant out for arrest. We're under the sentence of death. And so the message of Christianity is that God, instead of destroying us like you'd expect him to do, that he actually loves us, though we're a rebel race, and he comes after us. He actually infiltrates our race, becomes one of us. He enters into our race. He becomes one of us to share the message that in spite of this, he loves us, and then he's actually going to go to the cross and take the penalty, the sentence for our lives that we deserve, and his offer is an offer of total amnesty for all crimes that we've committed against the king. Our life for his life, I call it the great exchange, right? And that he wants to turn us from 
uh, criminals who are under a sentence of death on death row into sons and daughters. So we're no longer slaves of fear that we have become children and daughter of the king, like we sang this morning. That is the gospel, right? That no matter where you've come from or what you've done, that God loves you, and in spite of your rebellion, there is a way out of the sentence of death that Jesus has died for you to pay the penalty. That is the gospel. And part of the agreement is if you accept the deal, God expects you to forgive others as he's, expect, as he's forgiven you. That this is not optional equipment. That if you sign on under King Jesus, this is the gospel. That we become people who forgive others as God has forgiven us. Now, Jesus makes this really clear. Like when Paul teaches this, it's not like he's making this up. He's just taking us back to the school of Jesus. And there's many places where Jesus teaches it. You're going to study one in your life group this week. If you're in a life group that uses our study, uh, in Matthew 18, there's going to be a longer passage on this where Jesus teaches it very clearly. But just to get at it very quickly, I want to take you back to the Lord's Prayer. Uh, I want you to think about this. You know, Jesus, when he first calls his 12 disciples to follow him, He's walking by the shores of the Sea of Galilee. I can picture that. You know, I've, just, I've been there so many times now. It's just like super clear in my mind. I can kind of picture that shoreline. And I can see those young men, maybe 17, 18, 20s, probably very young, Jesus calls to follow. And as they follow him, they begin to watch him. They watch how he operates. And one thing they see about Jesus, his relationship, his one-on-one relationship with his father, most important relationship in his life. And then, so they, they watch him get up early in the morning before dark and go out and spend time with God on a regular basis. They watch him late at night after the crowds go, go in the mountains. It's the only time he has to get alone. And so they see the importance of prayer places in his life. By the way, that's why we have this course called Pursuing God One-on-One this summer. And it's what it's all about. How do you pursue God one-on-one in your life in a way that refreshes and restores you? Because we just can't live the Christian life well without that one-on-one relationship being restored and renewed on a regular basis. And so anyway... So they watch this for a while, and so they finally come to him one day. Remember, he's their rabbi, and they say, Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? This is obviously an important part of your life. And so Jesus gives them this model prayer. It's sort of like an outline of the kinds of things we should be praying for when we pray, and we call it the Lord's Prayer. And in, that op- in the second half of that prayer, Jesus begins to teach them, now here's what to pray for in your own life. And he says, one of the things you need to pray for is for forgiveness. You need to ask for God at times when you're out of line, when you are kind of get off track, when you sin, when you offend God, offend others, hurt people, you need to ask God to forgive you. So here's how you need to ask for forgiveness. So here he is, okay? Let's look on your note sheet. So he says, this is how you should pray. He says, God, I want you to, he says, you should pray, God, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So when you go to God, this is how I want you to pray. He says, go to God and say, God, I want you to forgive me in the same exact way that I forgive others. How many are you feeling good about that? That is not what I wanted to say. I wanted to say, ask God, God, forgive me uh, unlike the way I forgive others. But he says, no, I want you to pray. Father, would you... you, uh, would you forgive me in the same way that I forgive others? If you're not sure how to do this, watch me. I'm a model. 
And you're like, are you serious? Yes. It's part of the deal. It's part, this is what it means to follow Jesus. This forgiveness is not an option on the Christian life. It's the basic model. And you say, are you sure? Yes. Look at the next passage. He goes on to say in that same passage there, he says, if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, anyone want to say that's not clear? (laughs) Anyone want to get there and have this discussion with the Lord? You know, I just wasn't clear on that. I didn't understand that. It was a little fuzzy. Okay, so, so here's what I want you to catch. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you want to rethink your life, if you want to enter the school of Jesus, if you want to put off the old, put on the new, be transformed, become like God, live the epic life you're called to live, forgiveness is a non-negotiable, not optional equipment. Now, number two. Number two goes like this, that there are no exceptions to rule number one. (laughs) Now, This is so important because as I've talked to Christians over the years, I I know how we think. And this is how we think. If I were to ask you, do you believe in forgiveness? You'd say, well, yes. If if I were to ask you, do you think that forgiveness is a good thing? Yes. Would you vote for it? Yes. Do you want to be seen as a forgiving person? Yes. But what I find is our own lives, we tend to exercise an exception clause. Like in general, we believe in forgiveness, but if there are certain people in our life that have hurt us particularly badly, if there are people that have wounded us severely, uh, if someone has molested my children, if my wife has had an affair with my best friend, if my business partner fraudulently Uh, cooked the books, and I have lost a business and now lost my home and been out of work for the last two years. That what we tend to do, if if I have a close friend who betrayed my trust, what we tend to do is say, in general, I believe in forgiveness, but catch this, but even God wouldn't expect me to forgive this. Or... You know, I know God says that, but he doesn't really understand. (laughs) And here's what I want you to catch. No, he does expect it, and he does understand it. And in fact, it's forgiving these situations that are key to our future and freedom. In fact, when you you talk about Jesus' understanding, I want you to think with me of just uh, the last week of his life. Like, I don't know how your week's been. Maybe you had a bad week. But let me tell you, nothing compares. Last week of his life, he is sold out for one month's salary by one of his closest associates. Been in his inner circle last, the last three years. Man that he's eaten dinner with, taught, lived with, traveled the hills with, gone to Jerusalem with. He sold out for a month's salary to his enemies. And then when he's arrested, he is 
denied and abandoned by his closest inner circle. And then he is unjustly taken to court in a legal sham at one of the, great, the greatest injustice in human history. And then once there, he is stripped naked, completely humiliated, beaten, whipped, uh, and executed in the greatest act of injustice in human history. And while he's hanging on that Roman cross, this is what he says, chapter 3 of, 23 of Luke, says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so here's what I want you to catch. When it comes to forgiveness, it's like not only does God expect it, not only does he understand it, but I want you to catch it. So we're going to talk more about this next week, so I'm not going to get into it here. But forgiveness is the key to your future. That when we hold on to someone who's hurt us in the past, we chain ourselves to the past. We can never move into our future. We're going to talk more about that next week. And here's what, Jesus came to set you free so you could rise above and be empowered to live life at a whole new level, like, like he did. And this is crazy how we do this, but this is so common, even in Christian. as much as we say we understand the gospel, we don't live the gospel. We, we give ourselves a way out. We have exception clauses. There in your note sheet, I mentioned this a few weeks ago when I was teaching on anger, but uh, there's a man named Dr. Archibald Hart. He's uh, one of the leading uh, Christian psychologists of the last kind of generation. Uh, he's the sort of guy, I don't know if he is anymore, he used to always be on like focus on the family, but I had the privilege of studying with him in my doctoral uh, program at Fuller. And uh, he's written a million books, uh, and this one's kind of out of print, but I want you to catch what he said as a clinical psychologist, Christian psychologist, kind of deals with people all the time. He says, it's been my sad experience to observe that many Christians who claim to have received God's forgiveness, and that's what it means to be a, a Christian, right? They know little of how to forgive others. By some strange logic, they exclude anyone who has hurt them from the list of those whom they should have, to whom they should now have a forgiving attitude. And this happens all the time. And so kind of rule number one is that if you're going to follow Jesus, that forgiveness is a non-negotiable. It's part of the core gospel. It's a basic package. And number two, there's no exceptions to rule number one. Now, Next, number three, I want to talk for a few minutes about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Because often, even in Christian circles, we often deeply misunderstand this, and it makes it really difficult to practice forgiveness if we don't understand what it is or have misconceptions. And so I want to start with what it isn't. And so there on your note sheet, uh, let me give you three things it isn't. Forgiveness is not, first of all, it's not forgetting. I'll give this to you slowly. It's not forgetting it's not minimizing, and it's not removing all the consequences. And I want to take a few minutes and talk about each one. Uh, first of all, it's not forgetting. Sometimes in Christian circles, we have the idea that if we've truly forgiven someone, we, we should just kind of forgot it ever happened. In fact, sometimes in Christian circles, if you bring up something, I remember when they did this to me or whatever, it's like, well, obviously I haven't forgiven them because you know, you're still talking about it. And, uh, and so uh, I don't think this is in the world necessarily out there. They look at it like this. But as Christians, oftentimes we, we think that forgiveness means forgetting 
And, and I think the reason is because of some of the language Scripture uses. Like, have you ever heard that, uh, of this or where in Scripture God says that uh, I will remember your sins no more? Have you ever heard that phrase? Kind of a famous phrase. For example, in Isaiah 43, there on your note sheet, says God is speaking to Israel, and he says, I am it I, and he who blots out your transgressions, and for my own sake, and I remember your sins no more. So God says to Israel, I, I'll blot them out. I'll remember your sins no more. And so we read that, and sometimes it's even taught this way, that, that, that when we sin against God, he, he forgives us and kind of he forgets all about uh, our sins. And sometimes it's even taught, you know, when, when you know, God looks at you, he just sees Jesus, he doesn't see any of the sin or whatever, as if he's kind of operating in the dark. But I want you to think about this, how, how this doesn't make any sense, and, and just, to, uh, just kind of think about it very briefly in light of Scripture reveals this, is obviously knows, God knows everything, right? And he knows about our sin, and all you have to do is go to the Bible. You think of the sins of Moses, you think of the sins of David, you think of the sins of Peter, his denying of Christ. It's not like, uh, it's not like they're going to him. And, uh, and, and like Moses goes to God, and, and so remember when Moses kind of hit the rock twice? Remember, they're, they're out in the, uh, in the wilderness, and God says, uh, hit, the, hit the rock once, and I'll bring water from the rock to feed the people. And remember, Moses hits it twice. It's the second time this has happened. He hits it twice, and God says, no, it's once, and because of that, you're not going in the promised land. You, you remember that incident? And so, uh, you know, I'm sure that, you know, God, you know, uh, Moses goes to God, he's forgiven, uh, but, uh, you know, can you imagine six months later, uh, Moses saying, hey, God, can we discuss this whole thing? Like, this is really bugging me. You know, it's like, uh, remember, I mean, I only hit it one too many times. And, uh, you know, that's a, big, that's a big thing, not going in the promised land. I've been faithful for 40 years, and uh, it seems like a little bit too much. And uh, so can we just discuss that? And God's like, what are you talking about? Well, remember when I hit the rock twice? No, I don't remember that. Are you serious? Remember, I hit the rock twice. You said once. Remember, water came out. It was really cool. Uh, but then you said I couldn't go in the promised land. That's why I'm out here still. Like, remember that? No, I don't remember that. Well, come on, you, you got to remember that. Well, I, I don't remember it. Did you confess it? Well, of course I confessed it. Well, that's probably why. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, right? So when you go through the Bible... God knows the sins of David. They're in the Bible. Right? He knows the sins of Peter. They're in the Bible. He knows your sins. He knows my sins. It's not like, hey, God, remember when I did this? Nope, don't remember. So when the Bible says that God remembers our sins no more, it's not literally saying he forgot. It's a poetic way of saying he no longer treats us in light of our sins. Like in Isaiah, what he's saying is uh, the nation of Israel had rebelled against God, 586 B.C., been destroyed by Babylon, taken to captivity, had been there for seven years. And what God is saying is, I'm, I'm no longer going to hold you accountable for that. I'm going to forgive you, and there's going to be a new day coming. You see, I, I'm not going to hold you accountable. So, so forgiveness doesn't mean forgetting. Number two, forgiveness doesn't mean minimizing. Uh, and what I mean by this is sometimes I think that we think that to forgive someone means to downplay 
or excuse or pretend that what they did wasn't too bad. And like I, I, I see this all the time, talking to people, you can see them, they're, they're trying to forgive someone who's hurt them very deeply. And what we often do is we start, we start trying to downplay it because if we can reduce the crime, we can reduce the time. You know, like if I can convince myself it wasn't really that bad, it's easier to let go. And we're really trying to forgive. And so it's like, well, he didn't really mean to stab me. I mean, you know, he just had the knife. And I'm sure, you know, he just, you know, it's just, I think he was going for the steak. Uh, you know, I don't know. <laughs> and, and this starts when we're kids, right? Like when you're kids and you have like a fight with your brother or sister, you come in and he hit me in the eye. Your parents are like, I'm sure he didn't mean it. You're like, no, he did. No, 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 you, did. Just, you probably did something to irritate him. And so this starts when we're kids. Hey, but the reality is sometimes they do mean it, right? When Cain killed Abel, it wasn't an accident. I don't know what happened. Just beat him on the head. I don't know, you know. And so here's the thing. Even in our lives, when we come to Jesus for forgiveness, if you want to be forgiven, the first step is you have to come clean. And you have to call things by their true name. So have you ever, have you ever had someone try to uh, ask you forgiveness, but they don't really apologize for what they did? They're like, hey, you know, I'm really sorry for doing X, Y, Z and all, but I just want you know, to think blah, 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 blah. And it's just like, you didn't really ask me to forgive me. You just kind of gave 18 excuses why you didn't really do anything wrong. Uh, and when we come to God for forgiveness, if you want to be forgiven, you can't, well, it's a little mistake. It's not a little mistake. You betrayed your wife's trust and had an affair. You know, it wasn't like, oh, yeah, I forgot. No, you didn't. You lied and exaggerated. And if we want to be forgiven, in fact, this is what confession means. In the Greek, the word confess is homo legao. Homo is like Legao is to speak. It means to say the same thing. To confess is to come before God and say the same thing about what we've done as God has said. You see, it's to, it's to face it. And so in our lives, if we want to be forgiven, we have to call our sin by its true name. And guess what? When we forgive someone else, we have to call it by its true name. I can't forgive you for lying or betraying me if I try to pretend it's not lying or betraying. There in your note sheet, there's a great quote by C.S. Lewis where he says, forgiving does not mean excusing. Many people seem to think it does. They think that if you ask them to forgive someone who has cheated or bullied them, you are trying to make out that this, there really was no cheating or bullying. But if that, were, if that were so, there'd be nothing to forgive. And so to forgive doesn't mean to minimize, pretend, excuse. You call it by its true name. The third thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean removing all consequences. When someone sins against you, to forgive them doesn't mean you act as if it never happened in the sense of removing all consequences. If someone molests your child, to forgive them doesn't mean that you will now let them babysit your kids again. Right? If your husband beats you on a regular basis, or even just once, uh, to forgive doesn't mean you necessarily continue staying with them. 
Uh, if you're married to someone, there's a kind of a string of affairs to forgive doesn't mean you always take them back at some point. It's like, no, I'm not going to put myself in that situation. If someone uh, does something illegal or criminal to forgive doesn't necessarily mean you don't prosecute. That there are consequences. And you see this in the Bible. I want you to think of King David. You know, King David uh, has a private affair with Bathsheba and then has her husband knocked off in battle. And when it comes to light, he goes to God and asks him to forgive him. And God does forgive him. But when God forgives him, he says, I want to be very clear that there are going to be consequences. He says, number one, he says that uh, there's going to be ongoing violence in your family from this point on. Number two, the child that is being born to Bathsheba is going to die. And number three, uh, he says that in the future, um, that you committed sin with Bathsheba in private Someone else is going to sleep with your wives in public. Are, are you with me here? Um, I don't know about you. That sounds like consequences to me. So forgiveness doesn't mean there's no consequences. So if forgiveness is not forgetting, if it's not pretending, excusing, minimizing, if it's not removal of all consequences, then what is it? And that's kind of where we're leading today. I want to land the plane here. We're going to spend some time here. This is the most important thing that you take away from today, other than it's non-negotiable, is that forgiveness at its core, it's about canceling a debt. So I want you to think about this. Uh, When someone sins against you, it's like they are in your debt. In fact, we use language like this, don't we? Like we say, when someone hurts, we say, you owe me. Or we say, I'm going to make them pay. Uh, There's a sense of violation, injustice, and there's a sense in which that's not right. And and so you owe me uh, that that you uh, now are in my debt. And, And so forgiveness is us wiping the debt off the books. Think of it like accounting terms, an accounting picture. It's really what it is. Uh, in fact, even a better way to think of it is kind of wiping the debt off our books and transferring that debt to God's books to collect as he sees fit. Think of it like a collection agency. Right? We're going to wipe it off our, 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 our books. We're going to put it onto God's. Now, this is something, of course, that goes back to Jesus. And Jesus teaches us many times. You're going to see it this week in that passage I already mentioned, that longer parable short story of Matthew 18. You'll see it there. Jesus says that uh, he uses the analogy that one man owes another man a huge sum of money, and, and the, the man who has owed the money wipes the debts off the book. It's an illustration of forgiveness in context. You'll see that. And so whether you're in a life group this week or not, I encourage you to, to look at Matthew 18. But we see this in short form in the Lord's Prayer. Like, I don't know if you noticed this when we went over this earlier, but look at the language Jesus uses there on your note sheet, uh, Matthew 6, 12, um, Jesus says, when it comes to forgiveness, this is how you pray, forgive us our what? Our debts as we forgive our what? Our debtors. So he says, when you come to God and you ask him to forgive you, it's like you have committed offenses against God and others, and therefore you're in debt to God. And, and so what you need to ask him is to, to wipe the debt clean. 
to erase it. So you can, you can understand this, right? Like we've all been in situations, maybe like you uh, go to the dentist or whatever, and you run up a big bill, and uh, you, the dentist kind of knows you personally, and you, you, know, you don't have that, you're going through a hard time, you're out of work right now or whatever, and they come and say, you owe $927, but we know you're going through a hard time, we're going to wipe that debt off the book. And so it's like you don't owe it anymore. Right? Like you're, you're free from that debt. That's what forgiveness is. It's saying, you are in my debt, but I'm going to wipe the debt clean. You don't owe me for that anymore. I'm going to transfer that to God. Now, here's the thing, that in theory, this sounds very easy. But when someone's betrayed you, when someone's lied about you as a parent in court to get custody of your kids, when your spouse has betrayed you and had an affair, when your business partner has lied to you and you've lost the business, when your sister has slandered you to the rest of the family, when someone in your life group has told lies about you, when you've lost your job because of an unfair boss who, pro- who, who kind of made up things about you to get you fired, when that happens, everything within us rebels against the concept of wiping the slate clean. And I think one of the reasons for this is because at the heart of it, it seems so unjust. Like, wait a second. If I let them off the hook, they're going to go free. And there's something within us that seems deeply unjust about that. You hear what I'm saying? Like, when I think of my life and people forgiving, it's like, I can't let that go. Because if I do, they're going to get away with it. And there's something within me that cries out for justice. And here's what I want you to catch. I believe this is part of the image of God that's written on our souls. That we are created in the image of God. We're told in Romans chapter 2 that God's moral law is written on our hearts. That even before we come to know Jesus, even we've never read the Bible, there is a sense of right and wrong that God has written on our hearts. And part of that law says, when someone offends me, that's unjust, and they should pay. And catch this, we are exactly right. What's really odd about this is that when we offend someone else, we think we should get off the hook. That's part of our fallen nature. So if someone offends me, I was like, are you kidding? Do you know who you're messing with? I am the center of the universe. And you have just offended the center of the universe. And so you need to pay. And when I do the exact same thing to someone else, it's like, well, no big deal. There were reasons. But here's what I want to suggest. This sense of justice is written on our heart by God himself. There is this deep sense that when there is an offense or injustice, Uh, Someone needs to pay. And here's what I want you to catch. We are absolutely right. And this goes to the heart of the gospel. Because what God says to us is, I want you to wipe this sin off your books and transfer it to me to collect as I see fit because I am the judge of the universe and trust me, I will make sure 
Everyone pays the right amount. And here's what we need to understand. That one of God's core callings of his character, he is the judge of the, all creation. And catch this. We miss this sometimes. What the Bible teaches is that every sin in the history of the world, every time uh, someone lies, uh, curses, sexual immorality, hurts, offends, sexual trafficking, uh, unjust war, whatever it is, that every sin in the history of the world will be paid for. Because God is just, and this is a moral universe, and as judge of the world, he will make sure that every offense and injustice is paid for. Now, that sounds really good. As long as we're talking about someone else. But if you're sitting here and you're very bright, uh, wait a second, I just said amen. Exactly. In the Romans, it says at the end day that our deeds good and bad, will accuse and defend us. Because what we just did, yes, that's right, applies to us too. Every sin you've ever committed will be paid for. Every lie, every injustice, every act of hatred, every lack of compassion, every lack of generosity, everything, you are, we will be paid for. So the question is, how will it be paid for? And this goes to the heart of the gospel. Because the message of Christianity is that the reason that Jesus went to the cross as the God-man was to pay the price for every sin that has ever been committed. That on the cross of Christ, the wrath of God against sin, the judgment of God against every sin, not just sin in general, like this big bucket of human sin, but every sin specific that the judgment of God was poured out on Jesus for that sin. So in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 2, it says that Jesus is the propitiation he is the atoning sacrifice, not only for our sin, but for all the sins of the world. And so the question is, in your life, in my life, in the person who offends you, who is going to pay for that sin? And so here are the options. We can either have Jesus pay for our sins by coming under his leadership Offer, accepting his offer of amnesty, it's what the gospel is about, entering into relationship with God, receiving credit for his life, he pays the sentence for ours, the gospel, or we can reject that offer of Jesus, say, no, I don't want to come under your leadership. I want to be my own God. I want to live my own life. I want to embrace darkness. I don't want to turn to the light. I'm going to continue to do my own thing, and then God says, okay, then you're on your own. 
you will pay for your own sins. So catch this. When we come to Jesus, we are entering into a relationship. He says, we want the first deal. And Jesus says, okay, well, if you want that deal, you have to give it to everyone else. It's part of the deal. And he says, and trust me, there is no sin against you that will not be paid for. Because either that person will come to faith in me and repentance in me, and I personally will pay for that out of my suffering on the cross. Or if they refuse that offer, they will pay for it either in this life or the next life an eternity of conscious suffering in hell. And once we understand this, it makes it much easier. Like, okay, then. I can wipe it off. I can wipe it off my books. I'll put it on your books. You're the judge of all the earth. Every sin will be accounted for. And, and this is exactly what the Bible teaches. I want you to look there. I've got several long quotes in this section, but I want you to look. I think it's the second one, the Romans 12 passage, where Paul explains this. And he says, uh, he's talking to believers, and he says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. So that's what's natural, right? Someone hurts us, we want to make them pay back. That's what feels just. And he says, but don't do that, but be careful to do what's right in the eyes of everyone. Can I take the high road? He says, do not take revenge. So when someone hurts us, that's what we want to do. We want to hurt them back. Remember we talked about anger? When someone hurts you, natural response, you want to hurt them back. He says, don't do that. Don't try to mix even the scales. He says, but leave room for God's what? His wrath, his judgment. God's going to deal with this. And then he quotes from the Old Testament, from the first from Deuteronomy. He says, for it's written in Deuteronomy, it is mine to what? Avenge. I'm the judge. I pass others. That's my job. It's mine to avenge. And, what is, and God says, I will what? Repay. Like, you don't have to worry. They're not getting away with this. They will pay. It will be the appropriate amount to pay. I know exactly how much. I know what that debt is. You know, you, you may not so be good, so good at estimating. I'm really good. Uh, and then he says, uh, in fact, here's what I want you to do. And this is a quote from Proverbs. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Like, do the right thing. Rise above it. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Catches in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. What's he saying? He's saying, I want you to wipe it off your books. I want you to respond with compassion and kindness and forgiveness. Turn it over to me. Let leave room for my wrath. He says, and when you do this, you are creating the best possible environment for them to repent. When, when, you, when someone responds in love and you've done evil, best possible environment for them to repent and to change and to get that restored. He says, but if they don't, it increases their accountability because of the way that you've responded. And so forgiveness has to do with canceling a debt. It has to do with turning the debt over to God. Uh, and it has to do with really giving up the right to hurt someone back if they've hurt us. Uh, years ago, 20, 30 years ago, I, uh, I had a friend who is a Christian counselor, and he wrote a tremendous article on forgiveness. His name is Larry Barber. And there in your note sheet, I, I put a quote from it, extremely profound. 
He says, in the Bible, this is the first quote, I believe. In the Bible, he says, to forgive literally means to let go. Now, that is absolutely true. The word for forgive in the New Testament is the word in Greek, aphiami, and it means to release or to let go. So to forgive means to let it go. You know, this offense you're holding, I'm going to get them back, let it go. And he said, when someone commits a sin against another, they have committed an injustice against the person. We talked about that. Consequently, the offender has incurred a debt to the injured party. That's what Jesus said. The New Testament defines forgiving as letting go of that debt. Now catch this. In practical terms, forgiveness means deciding to let go of hurting back the person who has hurt you. Now catch this. This is not a matter of good feelings, I really want to do this, or a particular state of mind. It's a decision I make. It's a choice not to hurt them back. Look at the next, uh, uh, down the page, a couple of quotes, uh, Archibald Hartigan. He says, I must stress this, that this need to hurt back is present every time you're, uh, you're angered by hurt. Every time someone hurt, there's a natural response. I want to hurt them back. You know, take revenge. He says, it can be subtle form so that you may not be able to recognize it, but it's there. And it must be dealt with before you can lay aside your anger. It's the law of our lower nature, our flesh, that we want to hurt back when we are hurt. We saw that. Forgiveness is the key to giving up your need to hurt back. Forgiveness is the antidote for hurt anger. There's no other satisfactory solution to our urge to take revenge. And then he wraps it up. What is forgiveness? I would define forgiveness as follows. Forgiveness is surrendering my right to hurt you back if you hurt me. Last quote, Dallas Willard, USC, Christian philosopher, amazing uh, Christian thinker from his book, The Divine Conspiracy. We forgive someone of a wrong they have done us when we decide that we, have, we will not make them suffer for it in any way. You see, see what's going on here? So forgiveness is a decision we make in the presence of God. And we'll talk more about this next week. It's a decision to say, God, they have offended me. They owe me. But I am going to wipe the slate clean. I'm going to transfer that debt to you to take care of in your perfect time, in your perfect way. And so I'm going to release that debt, and I am going to give up my right to hurt them back. Now, I've got a couple questions for you, practical questions as we wrap this up. Number one, is there anyone in your life where you're exercising the exception clause? I want you to think about that this week. Is there anyone in your life that you're saying, you know, I, I know that in general forgiveness is a good thing, but, uh, but that God would, you know, he, he, even God wouldn't ask her. He wouldn't understand her. Doesn't apply. Is there anyone like that? I want you to think about that this week. I'm not asking you to act on it yet. I want you to think about it. Uh, be courageous. Tell the truth. Is there anyone in your life you're holding out? And number two, the second question is, do you need to redefine forgiveness in any way? Many times we've been raised in families or something where it's like, 
we, we've said things like, I can't believe what they did to me. And our parents have said, oh, don't think, think of it like this. They didn't really mean, and we've, we've gotten in a habit of like pretending they didn't really do, or they really didn't mean, or we've gotten into bad, what, forgive, it's not about that, right? And so we've gotten into some bad habits. And so do we need to learn to rethink that? That, that it's not about forgetting, it's not about pretending or excusing, it's not about minimizing, it's not about re- releasing, it's really about releasing a debt, wiping out the books, transferring to God, and it's about giving up the right to hurt back. Is there, do we need to rethink how we think about forgiveness? And then finally, I have a question for those of you here who are not yet followers of Jesus. And today I have laid out in probably one of the clearest presentations I've ever given of what the gospel is all about. And so you may think of yourself as, you know, I kind of got this deal with God, me and him, you know. Um, But I want you to understand what the Bible says is that before we come to Jesus, we're all part of a rebel race. You are, I am. We've all done things that are wrong, and we've all violated God's law of love, and we've all acted as if he doesn't exist, and the result until we come to Jesus, we are under sentence for death. Like, you don't have a thing with God. You're on death row. Like, you're under, until we come to Jesus, we're under judgment. The Bible says we're under the wrath of God. And the amazing thing is that instead of carrying it out, God has become part of our race. He's become one of us because he loves us so much, he doesn't want us to pay that penalty on our own. He's come to rescue you. He's come to love you. He doesn't want you to be a slave to fear. You're afraid of him. He wants to turn you into son or daughter of the king. He wants to offer you total amnesty and bring you into his family and love on you, make you a son or daughter. doesn't matter what you've done or where you've come from or how many abortions you've had or how much sexual immorality. It doesn't matter uh, the addictions you struggle with. It doesn't matter who you've betrayed, what you've lied, how much fraud, fraud is done. It doesn't matter what crimes you've committed. He loves you. He's come after you to rescue you, to bring you into his family, and to personally pay the price for your your sin. But you have to decide. He's offering you amnesty, but it requires you bow the knee to King Jesus. It requires you repent. It requires you say, yes, I am wrong. You're right. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Teach me how to follow you so I can live with you not just now, but the next life. But that's an offer that we have to accept or reject. And, and understand, if you've not accepted it, by default, you've rejected it. And so as we sit here today, I want to give you the chance to give your life to Christ. It's the best deal you're ever going to get. And it will change your life forever. So let's pray. As our heads are bowed, eyes are closed, I want to start with those of us who are believers right away, and just say, hey, is there anyone in your life that you're exercising the exception clause over? And here's what I'm going to ask. I'm not going to ask you today to stop doing that. I'm just going to ask you if today you would ask God to begin to soften your heart and to give you grace to change. 
because we're going to continue talking about this next week. And, and maybe there's an area of your life you need to rethink what forgiveness is. And is, is, is this time of worship, is there a time that you just need to ask God to help me understand what it is and isn't? And then while our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you're here yet, you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to know he loves you, he's come after you, he has a plan for your life. He wants to restore you, forgive you, change you, fill you with his spirit, and, and make you what you were created to be. It is the most amazing adventure you'll ever be on. But it requires that you bow the knee to King Jesus. You come under his leadership, you ask him to forgive you, and you come uh, under his leadership in your life to receive that free gift of amnesty. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray a simple prayer, and if this expresses the desire of your heart, I'm going to ask you to pray it along with me under your breath, in your mind, in your brain, in your heart. God will hear if you're sincere. And so let's pray. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I apologize for my life of rebellion. I ask you to forgive me for all my sins and crimes I've committed against you and others. I pray that you will not only forgive me, but that you will fill me with your spirit and teach me how to follow you and save a spot in the next life for me. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, if you just pray that, first of all, I want to welcome you to the kingdom of God. You are in for the adventure of your life, I promise you. And uh, I would love to know about that decision, and I'd love to send you a letter this week just to hear some tips of kind of walking your new relationship with Jesus. And so in a couple minutes, we're going to be entering in a time of worship. We're going to take the offering. During that time, inside your program, there's a little card called the Connect card. And I'd like you to take it out, fill out the front, and in the back just say, I prayed the prayer or I asked Jesus in my life or I gave my life to Christ, something like that. We'll know what you mean. We will send out a letter this week just to welcome you to the kingdom. And so, God, as we come together as your people in your place under your authority, you are Lord, you're a king, you're a God. God, we just, first of all today, want to repent as a church that many times we have taken your teaching lightly and we have exercised exception clauses. And we, today we want to repent. We want to say that we acknowledge we were wrong. We want to stop defending that, that you'll understand or that they deserve it or you would never expect. We just want to call that by its true name, that that is sin. And we want to repent. And we want to ask for your grace, that we would grow and change, become like you. We grow in compassion and kindness. We learn how to forgive and to imitate our Father and to grow up to be like our big brother, to live out this epic life. And we pray now as we worship, as we enter into your presence, as we uh, bring our offerings, we pray that you'd meet us in a powerful way. And we thank you that through your life and death and resurrection, you have paid it all. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We thank you that though we were rebels and once lost, that while we were your enemies, that you came after us and you loved us. And you died to be the sacrifice, the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins, that as your word says, that you might be both just and justifier of those who rebel. God, we thank you that we live in a moral universe, that you don't wink at sin, 
that you don't just say it's okay, it doesn't matter, that there's a sense of right, there's a sense of wrong, and that justice will be done. And we thank you that we live in a universe of grace and mercy, that because of your amazing love, you have made a way for us to be forgiven. We thank you, God, that every sin in this room that we have committed is paid for in the cross of Christ. God, we thank you that our addictions have been paid for. We thank you that our sexual sin has been paid for. We thank you that our hatred and our guilt has been paid for. We thank you that the way we have hurt others and the way we have left things undone that should have been done are paid for. We thank you that our lack of generosity, that our greed, that our anger, that our rage, that our brawling, that our slander, that it has been paid for in the cross of Christ. That it's not some sort of generic payment, but that every crime we have committed or ever will commit is covered under the cross of Jesus Christ. And we are thankful, God, that you have given us this amazing good news to share that no matter what we've done or where we've come from, there is a way home. There is a God who loves us. There is a God who will fill us and change us. And we thank you that when you rescue us, you don't just save us so we can be forgiven, but we can be transformed and changed to be like you. That we can put off the old, put on the new, put off the anger and the hatred and the rage. We can put on compassion and kindness and forgiveness, and we can imitate our new father and become like our big brother. And God, we thank you for that gospel, and we praise you now in Jesus' name, amen. 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 Isn't the gospel of Jesus Christ a beautiful thing? That we are a forgiven people. There is grace over our lives. Is that not amazing? Amen. That I am so thankful for all the stupid and wrong and cruel and unjust and immoral things that I've done are covered under the cross of Jesus. Are you excited about that? All right, a couple things as we leave. First of all, God may be moving in your heart. You need some prayer. Last night, we had a next step dessert at my house, about 26 new people at the Rocky Peak. Amazing time, sharing their stories, what God's doing, where they've come from. And, uh, and one of the ladies just shared, she said, you know what, this prayer ministry you have over the right here every week, she said, man, it's just saved my life. This last year, these people, they've been discerning, they've listened, they've been supportive, they've prayed, the Holy Spirit's led them. They've been like angels to me. And uh, what a beautiful testimony. Maybe you're here today, you need some prayer. There are people over here who just love to listen, love on you, support you, pray for you. Uh, and so if you need that today, encourage you to go over there. And then next week, I hope you can come back. We're going to wrap up this uh, kind of mini-series. We're going to do a second week on forgiveness, a little bit more big picture than get real practical as we talk about how do we live this out in everyday life. God bless you. Have a great week. I love you. I'll see you next weekend. <laughs>